Okay, welcome to Redesigning High School, our podcast for parents and anyone else who might be interested in uh, thinking about how we might remake school for the benefit of students. I'm Terry DeBow. I'm an English teacher and director of special projects here at Hawkins School outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm Julia Griffin, uh, assistant director of Hawkins Upper School uh, and soon to be director of the Mastery School the of Hawkins. future director of the Mastery School of Hawkins, which is uh, going to be Ooh. amazing. And uh we're going to talk a lot about it today. So yeah. this is like the first time, in some ways, we get to really dig into it, which we're, is going to be fun. We're out of the cone of silence. The, yeah, it was quite a cone. <laughs> it's like with with holes in it. A colander, a, a, really. A colander. It was the colander of silence. Uh, all right, Julia, uh, we've reached the moment when the day is the appropriate unit of measurement to measure the distance between us and spring break. How do you feel about that? I'm just glad that it's not February anymore. That's right? all I can say. It feels like February. Uh, <laughs> what, what, spring, what, that seems to signal something important in schools, right? What does it signal to you? Hmm. Spring. I mean, uh, you know, I think spring in a lot of schools actually <laughs> signals uh, a, a time of uh, pressure <laughs> and lots of like, Final projects right. and high stakes testing and things like that. So in many ways, I'm actually I actually hope that it that it isn't that. No, wouldn't yeah. it be nice if like to me spring signals summer. <laughs> like I just fast forward right through it. I just want to get, but because uh, I just like the sunshine and all of the rest and that part's you know, nice. Kids outside, baseball, yes. frisbee, like all of that. Absolutely. Uh, but I do think that you uh, you're working towards something in in schools that's called spring. Yeah. Right, uh, at least in the Northeast or wherever we are. Um, listen, we need to uh, get to the topic, but first we have to talk about uh, the best and worst things yeah. that happened this week. What are yours? I, you know, I mean, I, I'm realizing that I always share a best thing, and I think that's like I a, have a worst. If it oh, makes you feel better, it does. <laughs> okay, good. So my best thing is uh, that we had a scheduling workshop uh, earlier this week. Um, and it's one of my favorite parts of the scheduling process. I know because everyone has a favorite part right. of the scheduling process, right? Not, it's, it's not nerdy at all. Super nerdy. But in uh, my role here at, at the upper school, part of what um, I get to see is the opportunities for students to have increasing levels of choice over their own path over the course of their high school experience. Right. And so one of the things that we do is we have this big fair where students can come and talk to the teachers and try to kind of figure out what they might take next year and what course offerings are particularly exciting to them. And especially for sophomores who are just starting to have a lot more choice right. in their schedule, it's great. Um, so I you know, was just walking through the AC lobby, chatting with kids, asking them, you know, what kind of questions do you have? Are you getting your questions answered? Um, and it's cool to see them start to realize what kinds of possibilities there are um, to sh- be able to actively shape their own their own path. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. That is cool. That is cool. Yeah. What about uh, you? What was your worst My thing? worst – uh, well, it was, it's midterm time and I, yes, my classes, I don't do tests, um, but we have projects and things like that. Um, and as you know, I've been sort of doing a lot more individual conferences and the grading has been delayed, but it had, it, it was time to, to pay the piper, so to speak. And I had to put all the grades in and, you know, get, let people know where they are. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it w- there was not a dramatic worse, but it was just, I was sort of in the, uh, this weekend, I was like 
adding points and you know oh, <laughs> deciding yeah. whether an 86.4 at midterm is really a b plus or a b you know uh and uh it's a b um but uh but so there was that but what i guess on the other side is i came to school the next day and i had my screenwriting class the kids are working on their big screenplay projects and they've gotten feedback and and no grades and they're uh excited about making movies and uh it felt very much like a generative creative space so that was a nice antidote to it oh Um, that's great but uh this weekend i was like uh (laughs) these kids are gonna get emails like what a b <laughs> I thought I was a screenwriter. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but oh. it ended up being every, everyone survives. Everyone's good, and still kids are making interesting things. So right, it all works out. Yeah. Um, so well, we have a, an exciting show because uh, we're going to interview Scott Looney, mm-hmm. uh, who is the head of school here at Hawken, and uh, uh, in many ways, the Mastery School of Hawken is his brainchild yeah his baby mm-hmm. uh and uh we're gonna dig into the details so yeah. uh, let's get to it great okay well let's get to it uh scott welcome thanks for having me oh it's very easy to have you just walk down from your office <laughs> here we are um so uh we're gonna switch it up a little bit this week um i'm just gonna i'll be the interviewer and both you and julia will be the you, 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 you need all the answers sounds good okay. yes we got them all all right, so uh, this Mastery School of Hawkins, obviously a really exciting um, uh, venture. Uh, let's start at the end. Let's start with what do you think sure. happens to a teenager who spends four years at the Mastery School of Hawkins? Yeah. At the end of four years at the Mastery School, I believe we will have teenagers who are remarkably self-directed learners. Uh, who feel a sense of agency and purpose um, to try to make their to make any community that they're a part of better, um, and who know who they are and have empathy for people who come at things from another perspective. Like when I think about it, I feel like that's what I that's what I would say. I would agree. I would also hope that we'll have students who understand that failure is your friend that it's yeah. okay to try new things and fail. In fact, that's the fastest way to learn anything is to fail forward faster. And and I think having the space and the real-world context to go out and you know get messy, deal with ambiguity, try things, have them not succeed, realize you can't get them done by yourself, and you'll have to call on your peers to help you, realizing that that quiet kid over there actually is the best data analyst in the classroom, and you might yeah. want him on your team. To figure those kinds of things out while being in quote-unquote school um, will set them up for everything that comes after school, including college. Mm -hmm. And you said something, Julia, that I think is my highest purpose, which is purpose. Um, You know, right now, most kids think that the purpose of school is school. Um, Yeah. I can't imagine students spending four years in the mastery school not recognizing that there are more central purposes for their reason to get up every morning than just school, that school is a vehicle to get where they want to go. But solving problems with other humans that help other humans might be a big, bigger, better, and higher purpose. And there's a whole bunch of them out there, and they come in different varieties and shapes and sizes, and they'll find some that they're uniquely either interested or skilled at potentially solving, and hopefully they'll go on and get more education and right. and then go off and solve some of them. So. 
that's my hope is that um, everyone I know who has a deep sense of purpose tends to be both happy and successful. People who lack purpose oftentimes lack one of those two things. And so since most parents want happy and successful kids, the best, most secure way of getting them there is to organize high school around things that help kids find a sense of meaning and purpose. And I think we've all seen that as teachers when they have purposeful experiences, they will not only have these kinds of experiences, but they'll also get smarter, right? They will go (laughs) seek information so that they understand Ah. complicated things better, right? They will uh, will, often take pride in the fact that they know things and they know how things work uh, because the task that was in front of them was not, you know, designed by an parent or an adult. It was designed by the problem that they had to solve. Yeah, that's right. right. Because it turns out that working on things that are real is a really powerful motivator. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, kids, adolescents can tell when something isn't real, when it's fake, when it's phony. Uh, You know, as uh, we would say, catcher in the rye. Like, kids can tell that. Right. They always have. They've always been. We always. That's right. Yeah. Been able to tell when it's fake, yeah. right? So, yeah, I, I think about that too. That after four years, it, you would have these experiences, and I think purpose is going to be the one of the the major takeaways. But I just have a sense that that people are going to be smarter. They're going to know how to do things. Well, if you look at kids' commitment to their extracurriculars, their co-curriculars, and the stuff that matters to them, you know, they're not graded. They're not doing it because some. They're doing it because something about that activity matters to them. It's right. meaningful to them, and they devote enormous amounts of time and energy. And by the end, if you look at the kids in our speech and debate program, for example, their skills and their knowledge that they develop in pursuit of a co-curricular mm-hmm. is extraordinary. Mostly because they want to become good at it, right. and, and it becomes important to them. And so, um, the last thing I want to say too is around real world problem solving is that. Most of the things you're going to do in the world don't have one answer. Um, And school is disproportionately around helping kids figure out the right answer. Um, There are some things for which there is a right answer, and it's important to know those right answers. But most of the complexity of the world has multiple solutions uh, and variants of the same possible solutions. Getting kids to recognize that they can come at a complexity with their own unique lens and oftentimes get a unique solution that may or may not be any better than any of the solutions, but it's unique to them and it's what they can contribute, um, will deepen both their sense of purpose and their own sense of utility, mm-hmm. that they're actually good at things, which is one of the reasons, wait for it, we call it the mastery school talking. <laughs> it's, that it, it's important to feel like you're good at something and to be good at something, you whatever it is you're doing has to contribute. Right. If, if you're good at something but it only matters to you, that's an interesting hobby, but it's very hard to get a deep sense of purpose or meaning if it doesn't do something for someone else right. elsewhere in the world. Yeah. yeah. So this Master School of Hawking did not come out of thin air. Uh, it is uh, the culmination of a lot of work. So can we have like a brief uh, you know, march through time? How is the Master School uh, a logical extension of the work Hawking's been uh, doing for the last years? Uh, I would say it's a logical extension of Hawkins' return to its original intent. Uh, you know, a group of educators in the late 19th, early 20th century that kind of looked at the way education was being systematically industrialized uh, and said, mm, it doesn't make sense to me. That's not the way organic creatures actually learn best. 
and they push back against it. Our founder happened to be one of those people. Um, but they lost the argument largely in the 20th century. And the standardization, the multiple choice test uh, regime um, started to infiltrate education to the point that it became the central operating feature. That the acquisition of specific content knowledge to a very specific binary yes, no, right, wrong answer became the kind of highest ideal of education. Meanwhile, a lot of the things that people like Mr. Hawken and Dewey Montessori believed in got relegated to specialty schools or to the periphery. Um, so I think we're kind of dusting off the original playbook a little bit, but you know, Mr. Hawkins didn't anticipate a couple of things. One was computers and the internet, and the yes. other was <laughs> girls, uh, since we started as an all-boys school. Um, Details. So uh, we started really questioning some of the traditional assumptions about school, some of which we felt comfortable with and have maintained and said they're still part of the core program, because as we look at them, they make sense. But increasingly, a number of them didn't, and the first place that we decided had to change was time. The way we organized the school day, the calendar, the week, um, it didn't make sense, and it particularly didn't make sense in our upper school for high school kids. So uh, we kind of pretty radically reorganized the schedule in the upper school, and the, the kind of biggest innovation was uh, the creation of courses we call intensives, where the kids stop the hamster wheel right. of learning and, and do one subject all day, every day for three straight weeks. And that allowed us to lean into things like project and problem-based learning, taking kids out of traditional classroom settings, um, and uh, getting them out into the world doing these things. Well, over time, the faculty got pretty good at this, recognized the value in it, and started insinuating it into whole other parts right. of the program. And eventually, uh, you know, our associate at the time, Doris Corda, uh, who... I think we'll be interviewed on these podcasts. Yes, yeah, really, episode four. Yeah, episode four. <laughs> uh, really created our first macro course, which was uh, entrepreneurship, uh, which was a course, a three-credit honors course organized around real-world problem solving. And it was always meant to be a, a beta for doing more of this. It was uh, incredibly successful. And so ever since then, we've been developing, with her help and assistance, um, more macros, and we think that the macros are likely to end up being a pretty core feature in um, the mastery school, as well as intensives and a few other things. So these things we've been developing sort of naturally as we leaned into our original roots are becoming the staple of the new high school. Right. So, yeah, it, it feels to me, you know, I have, I've only been here for four years, that um, this is the next step on this journey, and it feels very consistent with the kind of work that happens at, in the high school and the middle school and whatnot. So um, my hope, I mean, I think all of our hope is that this would create another option for families um, that won't feel like it's out of left field. It's, 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 it's a right. deepening and extending of what we do. That's right, and I think it's interesting. Um, we've now for informally surveyed students and families in different contexts to ask them, were you surprised when we announced this new school? Um, and it's interesting. I think this answer has actually even surprised me, maybe us, that some people were, and a lot of people were like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Most mm -hmm. people were like, yeah, not that surprising, actually. Like, yeah, this sounds cool. Sounds kind of like what you guys have been working on all along. Um, and so I agree with you, Terry. I think it's, 
it's a there it'll offer options for students who look at and experience like what an intensive looks like and they say yeah i want i want school to look like that every day yeah and so you know choice that's right, right. <laughs> they have the choice all right so let's talk a little bit about this thing uh we're, we're you guys are going to work all going to work hard to make this thing real um if you're a parent or you're a student uh, you have two questions i think uh is school going to be fun and is school going to be hard? So can you tackle those two questions? What's going to make it fun and what's going to make it hard? Sure. Uh, I'll start. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Uh, so I'll start with what's hard because my mother taught me to eat my vegetables first. <laughs> uh, so I think what's going to be, what's going to make it hard is that, uh, well, actually, as Scott, as you like to say, deep thinking is really hard. <laughs> um, but that working on... Uh, trying to solve problems and come up with solutions that nobody has actually solved and that you can't Google the answer to, um, that that is really challenging. Um, and it requires synthesis and collaboration and reaching out beyond the classroom walls and all kinds of things that are hard um, and that are really important to learn how to do. Um, and practice. And practice. That's right. That's right. And school should actually, I think, be to give us the opportunities to practice things we're really going to need to be able to do in life. Um, so I would say that that it will be that it will allow students to go deep in different content areas and learn things that are really hard and help provide them a context and a motivation that it makes sense. So instead of um, somebody trying to make them, it's that the students actually discover and realize why why they would want to learn something really hard and then go for it. Um, what I think part of what makes it fun is that uh, it's fun to it's fun to feel yourself developing a sense of mastery and mm -hmm. getting good at something. And I think when I think about fun, I think also about the idea of flow um, and uh, Mihai, she said Mihai, which may be his, the way that one pronounces his name, but I'm trying. That's Scott thinks close. I was I think okay. that's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. That's not <laughs> so bad. someone can fact check me, but um, but that that when you're working on something purposeful, you can get lost in time, and that so I think it, in some ways it comes back to that sense of purpose. Yeah, and I, you know, I I, I know I'm yeah. asking the questions, but I'm going to offer an answer. No, please. But I think being down in the university circle is going to be fun. Yeah. Right. You're going to be in this space. I also think being yeah. in a cohort of pioneers or people who are at sort of the tip of the spear, they're they're mm -hmm. working to create something. Yeah. That. You know, that is, there's this, and fun's probably the wrong word. Yeah. Maybe it's joy. It's something um, yeah. substantial and gratifying to be doing something that matters. Yeah, yeah, and something that's active, right? right. Saying something that's active, which is probably better than unpronounceable philosophers who want to try to explain why something is fun. Yeah. But, yeah, that, you, that you're actively involved in doing something. Right. I also, yeah. I also think that, it, that the fun is an interesting word because... Um, you know, fun can be something that's frivolous. Fun can be something that just comes and goes and, and has no real long-lasting meaning. Yeah. But rewarding lasts forever. Mm -hmm. If you think about the things you've done in your life that are rewarding. Um, and I don't mean rewarding like you got paid, but rewarding because, like, I did something good. Um, the problems these kids are going to be asked to solve are not theoretical. Right. The, these are real problems, and the reason we chose University Circle as a as a location is that 
within walking distance of 200 nonprofits, all of whom have one thing in common. They're organized to solve some human problem in the world. And they are mostly pretty open to the idea of letting high school kids, if they're well uh, coached and they learn some stuff that's useful, um, to go out and help with that. I, you know, if you're on a basketball team or you're in a play or you're in speech and debate, it's really rewarding when you contributed to the win or, you know, you really helped your struggling actor out because they stumbled in a line and you picked it up and you made the play go right. on. Or it's rewarding. Is it fun? Yes. Is it hard work? Yes. But more than anything else, I think the intersection of fun and hard work is reward. Yeah. And mm. to me, school reward systems in the traditional model are all externalized. It's all the rewards of grades, the rewards of test scores, the rewards of, of getting things in on time. And while some of those absolutely have a place in school, the proportionality is not balanced. Right. Um, and so I think, to me, yes, it'll be fun. Yes, it'll be hard. But we're going to try to live in that intersection. And the intersection is reward. Like, what are you actually trying to do in the world that matters? beyond the acquiring knowledge and skills that will be yeah. useful to you. I think one of the problems I have with the current system is that it rewards a kind of selfishness uh, in kids that I'm only worrying about me. Right. I'm worrying about my grade and about me being better than my classmates. Well, when you go out in the world with that posture, you don't make a very good teammate. And right. since life is a team sport, uh, maybe your posture in school should be, how can I contribute to our collective effort to solve this important problem. If that's your mindset, it's fun and it's more engaging. Um, and you have a lot more novelty when you go to a place like University Circle. But it's also high stakes. You also realize that there's real humans you could let down if you're not good at what you're supposed to be good at. And it pushes you towards mastery. Yeah. Can I throw in another piece about the this question here? I think it also there's also a really important place and really important role of student choice mm -hmm. and voice. Mm -hmm. So I love the comparison to co-curriculars because mm -hmm. I think that you know students have so feel so much agency and responsibility mm -hmm. in their co-curriculars. Mm -hmm. But imagine if everyone in the school had to play soccer, right. Right? right? Or everyone in the school had to do speech and debate. Like that would they there would be some kids who would love it and a whole bunch who wouldn't. Right. And so I think that one of the things we try to do at Hawken across the divisions and in all of what we do is to give students that space for choice and voice. And I think the way we're designing the mastery school is such that there may even be more opportunities mm -hmm. for students to choose their own pathway or create right. their own pathway. And what learning tells us about how the brain learns new things is that building from your strengths is a better way to develop new skills than identifying your deficits and trying to work on your deficits. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Which we will get to in a, in a future episode. We got I'm get sure to we it. will. Yeah. <laughs> it's central to it. So I, I also just, on the, I have to do the fun thing for a second. I just think <laughs> like being on a team of people doing interesting things is, yeah. there's a chance it'll be more fun yeah. than some of the, you know, yeah. the routinized part of school um, now. And I, and I also just think of that team who's the first group of kids down at the master yeah. school, yeah. you know, that first day we'll line them up on that porch and take a picture yeah. and it will be on a wall somewhere, yeah. you know, 20, right. 50 years from yeah. now is the people who started this thing. So I think that will be incredibly fun. One of the words we use a lot is meta. And so, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a real world problem solving high school 
started by a group of founding pioneer kids and faculty who are designing the high school in real time. Right. Um, now, much of it's been pre-designed by the work we've done in, um, in the main upper school, but literally it will be evolving Iterating and them, yeah. designing. Yeah. And and the other thing that's, that is the reason I think it'll be fun and engaging is that the problems that kids are going to go out in the world and solve will be unique every time. Mm-hmm. Um, novelty. Um, there's a lot of research around the, the teenage brain being a, an engine for seeking novelty. Mm-hmm. That's why it leads sometimes to high-risk behavior. Right. Well, here's a way for them to scratch the novelty itch in very healthy ways. Right. <laughs> because even if you were to take the exact same entrepreneurship or engineering course, the problems are always different. Right. We have to have real problems, and problems don't right. stay static. They change over time. So every course, even if it has a shell with a set of learning objectives mm-hmm. that are common, the actual content of the work in the class is unique every single time. And so there is no two experiences you right. have at the mastery school that will repeat themselves. So it's not the it's not the hey we've done this lab again and again, again and again. again. That's right. Right. What happens? Phosphorus and water. Right. Right. I'm, that's the one thing I know from chemistry. Yeah. Wait, what happens? Fire. It really? explodes. Yeah. yeah. It explodes. Oh, this is I, why I'm not a chemistry teacher. I was barely a chemistry student. <laughs> that's all I remember from oh. 1987. Oh, of course. Or sodium and air. There you go. Oh, look at that. I just learned something. Okay. Um, one other. I got two more questions. So I've been using this phrase um, that I think is good, but we'll test it and see. Uh, the phrase is uh, that the master school will be designed with students and the future in mind. You know, I saw my question to you is, do you think that's an accurate distillation of the of the rationale, the mission behind the school being designed for students and the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Scott likes to say that one of the problems with school as an institution is that it's one of the businesses where it's designed without the client in the room <laughs> um, and students aren't actually usually in the conversation about how schools are set up, that they're set up for the convenience of adults in a lot of ways. Um, so I absolutely think that we not only are designing for students, we're designing with students and yep. bringing them into the design process because yep. we think kids have an opinion that matters. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of crucial. And one of the kind of key curricular elements in, is program at this point we're calling Pathways, which is where kids actually, with the help and guidance of both their instructors and the real-world experts they'll be working with, co-design a series of projects with very specific learning targets, learning goals in mind. And those are, the learning goals are set by the institution so that you learn the things you're supposed to learn. But the actual projects, the kinds of problems you go out and solve is, is is created and curated in partnership with the student. And right now, if you go to a traditional school and you show up on day one, the same classes that happened there were going to happen whether you showed up or not right, because right. the adults planned it all. That's right. Here, a good portion of it's <clears throat> planned by adults, but there's still an enormous amount of the program and curriculum that will be co-designed with the student and their own specific interests and learning targets um, in mind. And that idea that I'm part, I have choice, and I have voice is really important. It, it is also a really powerful motiva- uh, ingredient in motivation. If someone gives you a vote and gives you a choice, you have some obligation to then follow through and live up to the right. expectation. If I let you pick your own meal, you can't right. say I don't like this. Right? <laughs> so right. It's an implicit uh, contract. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a contract. You, <laughs> you're doing... So 
but it's not free form. They're not free range chickens where they right. just go off and do this. It's just, again, a set of, of concrete learning goals that every kid has to master before mm -hmm. they graduate. And then there's a whole series of learning goals way beyond that that each individual kid can achieve based on their set of strengths and interests. So, so there's a floor, a set of graduation requirements that whether you like it or not, you have to chase those learning goals before you get to graduate. But then there's a whole universe of learning on the other side of that that can help you go really, really deep into things that you care about and, frankly, highlight and differentiate your strengths for you know, well, and after that. Some of the things we've talked about before is just designing a school where the student experience could just be healthier, right? That students are engaged in things that matter and we avoid some of the pitfalls of traditional high school. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that we believe that the the research on sleep, um, the research on stress in high school students these days is incredibly clear and compelling. And um, our friend Denise Pope at Stanford, who runs Challenge Success, um, has their, their organization has put out some incredible white papers that really document that um, and point to the things that schools can do to have an impact on what the student experience is. Um, and thinking differently about homework, for instance, mm -hmm. like what is the role and purpose of homework and why would you give it? And that it matters way more than you would think that the kid understands exactly why they're doing the homework. Mm -hmm. Like for just to pick one example. Right. Um, so I think there are all kinds of elements of design that we, as we think about how many classes meet in one day, how many different buckets of things are you working on for any particular day? Um, and how much attention are we putting really on students' development of their own social-emotional skills um, and their, uh, their sense of belonging in the community? Like There are a lot of things that schools can do um, and that we are working on for the mastery school. Right. Yeah, absolutely. In the future, I mean, your sense of how the, the world they're going to enter when they leave the mastery school yeah. and they... Yeah, they leave another institution probably, you know. What's your sense of how this will be designed for, for that challenge? Uh, there's a couple of things that you can't know the future, but you can make certain educated guesses. And here's one, which is that you don't need to go to a library or find a real-world expert to, to access basic content knowledge. I mean, I can find out about the world 1812 anytime I want. Um, but that doesn't do me any good unless I understand why it matters or what context or how, what, how it relates to what, I, what I'm doing. So the ubiquity of information, um, you know, in some of the really, really highly technical fields, um, new information related to that specialty uh, doubles um, every two or three years. So it isn't about the actual carrying that content knowledge with you every year ago. It's about how can you become a content consuming, using, and replicating machine and a beast how can you be a master learner mm -hmm. um, I think if there's one thing this generation of kids will need to do is they'll need to learn new stuff frequently and that's right. and they may need to learn new stuff frequently without a lot of help from other people that's um, right if you look at most first jobs you know you get like a couple day orientation <laughs> and you know here's the cafeteria and here's HR and here's your paperwork and here's some basics so you get to work and since these kids are going to have any between six and nine jobs, um, actually different careers right. is what's being projected. That idea of entering, figuring it out, finding meaning, figuring out how you can contribute, but learning things quickly without a lot of support, um, 
will be a really valuable skill. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I think is really important about the future is that there are timeless skills. There are things that have been helpful to humanity for thousands of years. Those are kind of worth betting on, <laughs> like being able to communicate clearly, being able to think critically, um, being creative and generative when there's a new problem to solve, mm -hmm. working and collaborating with, with groups. And the irony of the mastery school, this new innovative school, is that in order to get where we want to go, we have to privilege the oldest ideas in education, which is it's fundamentally about skills. Right. It's fundamentally about the acquisition of applied skills. And if you think about that, um, it takes you back a very long way in education, not a couple, not a hundred years. It takes you back thousands of years of the way humans are, frankly, wired to learn. And, and that's so, the apprenticeship model, right? That's, yep, that's right. Someone helping you, coaching you through it, giving you something that that matters. Yeah, yeah. That feels of consequence, and yeah. you can learn a tremendous amount yeah. that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, all right. So before we close, because we've settled all the problems, um, <laughs> let's just we're going to have this conversation many more times. Uh, so can you give us an update of where 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 we are with this master school? We opened in August 2020, right? Yeah. So where is where are we in the design process? Oh, we've, we've designed the whole it's thing. It's all done. It's ready to go. We should open tomorrow. Right. We got the t-shirts. We have the t-shirts. We t -shirts. do have t-shirts. We're, we're pretty well set. At this That's point. right. That's right. Um, well, we uh, we have the beginnings of a fantastic founding faculty and design team who are already hard at work. Um, actually, many of them have been hard at work for the last couple of years piloting this pedagogy and this approach um, within our upper school. Um, we are now turning our attention to things like starting the process to design the first set of mastery credits. Right. We had a meeting about that today. Um, so... Uh, we're also looking to begin building out the Pathways program and build out the Wayfinding and Advisory program um, and to really think about and map out um, what uh, students' day would look like, um, right. you know, like what the schedule looks like. So we're in the process of, of grappling with really big questions in a way that's very exciting to think about a totally different vision for the day, for the week, for right. the year um, that uh, that a student could have. Right. Um, so there are some things that are givens and that are set, and then a lot of things that are still on the table. Um, yeah. It's yeah. got a day we're having a meeting today, and I went in with my phone and took pictures to put on Instagram. And basically, right now, the master school looks like a series of post-it notes on a, on a wall, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. At least at this moment of the design process. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's I think part of the other thing that's so cool about this is that we're designing this thing uh, with kind of a blank slate. Yeah. A lot of guidance, a lot of things in place that we know are central to it, but there's a tremendous freedom to use all this knowledge and uh, research we have at our disposal That's right. to design it design it right. Yeah, and some yeah. of the core elements are things we've been doing for a few years, so it's not new. That's right. Um, but there is a chance when you think about it as a holistic high school, what does that look like? You get, you get to play with really fun ideas like what culture do you want? And yeah. how do you get there? Um, what ethos among the students do you want to make sure is inculcated right at the gate? Because you know that first couple generations of kids will will determine the culture of the school for a very long time. Right. You know, on the business side, I'm spending more time on the business model side of right. it. You know, can we, how are we going to stay true to the idea that one out of every four kids at this school will be a student, a full scholarship student from the city of Cleveland? Um, and I'm running around getting scholarships funded right. to make sure that that happens. Um how do we make sure that we have the resources necessary to 
and get the kids out in the world and how do we find their partners and neighbors who are interested and willing to, to work with us to help our kids work on some problems proximate to what they do for a living. Um, mm -hmm. So we're out, you know, kind of on multiple strands doing yeah. all this work at the same time. I will say the um, best part of this is the confidence I have in the people who are building it. Um, you know, when you when you're trying to do something new, uh, first you have to have a, a core belief of what it is you're trying to achieve. That's pretty clear. We I think there's great clarity about what the point of the mastery school is. But the second biggest ingredient is who's building it. Yeah. And, you know, we have faculty who've been doing this for years, um, build, building up to this as part of this. And we'll bring a few new people on board who are bring a certain kind of specialty or saffron to add to our rice to give it just the right mix um, along the way. Everybody who's going to be teaching the mastery school will, will train up for a full year in advance. Nobody gets to start teaching until they've practiced this pedagogy and this methodology for at least a year. Um, so even though this is new, um, a lot of the core practices will be well practiced. And, uh, and, and I will tell you, the kinds of faculty who want to step away from, you know, unknown into the unknown, I think are actually kind of people you want helping to raise your kids. Because yeah. um, I think they're fascinating, engaging, generative, enthusiastic curious people and that those are all traits that are somewhat contagious if you get let your yeah. kids be proximate to them so <laughs> i think it's great agreed yeah. all right well uh thank you guys for coming in it's gonna yeah, be a pretty remarkable so journey yeah. and uh, thanks, we're just in this moment in time so um i want to thank scott julia uh and i want to thank you for listening if you're still listening you can get the podcast uh at itunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts Scott does not listen to podcasts, and so maybe he'll <laughs> listen to this podcast. We're going to subscribe on this from. I'll look for the transcript. <laughs> yeah, <can't> wait. <laughs> uh, and you can uh, get all that stuff on the website. So anyway, thank you, and until next time, we'll see you later. Super. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, bye.